Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host. I'm back. Chris McDaniel. He's back! I'm a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Joe Manis. And joining us from his home, actually... Jason Rosenbaum. And our special guest this week is... Jeff Rowe. The eminent, preeminent... Jeff Rowe, one of that? the most... Is he eminent prom- or preeminent? Well, he's both. He's both, okay. <laughs> he was eminent because he just started. But he's a Republican consultant from the western part of the state and arguably the most prominent active uh, consultant in, in the state. And we're very pleased that he was able to be over here in St. Louis to, and, and to uh, make some time for us. Yes, and, and Jason just refused to get out of bed this morning <laughs> and said, I'm, I'm going to do the show... You know, just just before I've even gotten ready for He can't work. be allowed to see, be seen in the same room with me is what that actually is. <laughs> I, I, I mean, part of it's laziness and part of it is just fear of, of, of stepping in the same room with such a powerful man like Jeff Rowe. So. It's also because Jason's about ready to get on a plane. <laughs> yes. well, we'll wrap it up from there. Thanks for having me in, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason brought up how powerful a man you are. How how did you become such a powerful man? Let's get into yeah, a little bit. Right. Right. The, beginning. the man behind yes. the power. Yes. That will be very surprising to my parents and my <laughs> wife, by the way, how powerful I am. Uh, well, I was born in, in uh, actually born in Kirksville, Missouri, and then grew up in Brookfield, Missouri, which is a small town in north-central Missouri. My, my mother was a postmaster in town. My dad worked for the, for the uh, telephone company, and our family had been farmers for generations. We raised Chester White Hogs. And uh, I did uh, work on the hog farm all the way through growing up. Really? My and grandfather was a hog farmer. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's hardest working people, no vacations. Yes. Never a day off. They actually sold most of the hogs the day I, went to, the day I graduated from high school uh, because the free labor was, you know, out the door. So they got out of the hog business. But um, so I grew up there. I uh, joined – nobody in my family had ever been in an organized military. And, and at that time, nobody in my immediate family had gone to college. And so I joined the army at seventeen. Really? Yeah, and I uh, was wanted to like break the streak, I guess, or start a new one. What year was this? This is nineteen eighty-seven. June sixth of nineteen eighty-seven, I joined. I joined on a three hundred sixty-five day delayed entry. Went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Just got my Eagle Scout. Um, had had um, joined the army. Three hundred sixty-five days later, I enlisted and went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I was a cannon cocker, 13 Bravo, for a uh, field artillery unit. And so I got out of basic training. And in that interim, um, congressman at the time, Tom Coleman, had given me a spot at West Point to go to to have a, a nomination for West Point. Yeah, I knew Coleman. I was actually in the Washington Bureau then. Yeah, so good man. Yeah. Good man. Pat Danner beat him in 92, I guess it yes. was. Uh, and so went from there to uh, actually – my guard unit that I originally joined got activated to go to the to the Korean student riots in Itaewon, Korea. So I went over there and served a stint and came back and had missed my slide at West Point. So I ended up going middle, middle of the semester to Northwest Missouri State and joined a fraternity and dated girls and played a little sports and <laughs> drank beer. That was the end of the Army. That was the end of the <laughs> Army. And so I served while well, I stayed in the guard then for the remainder of my 
of my duty, but I got out in 1994. And in that time, I met Sam Graves. I met Bill Webster, drove him around a little bit in northwest Missouri. Really? Yeah, Yeah, because I covered Webster's campaign, so I may have seen you on the campaign trail. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I was... If you were, if you covered the yard sign deployment, you would have seen me in that campaign. That was a very important part of that campaign. It was critical, though. critical, and and, was. and 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 it mostly, was. most people accuse the side, yard sign placement of the loss. It had <laughs> nothing to do with the indictment. Uh, a month out, uh, and then helped Glenn Klippenstein in 1993 in the open seat. Okay. Um, that filled Pat Danner's slot, but she left vacated in 1992. Yeah. And uh, and then graduated on this is my twentieth year anniversary one week ago of being in politics full time. I got out of the military, graduated from college, and got hired by Sam Graves in nineteen ninety four. Now, what was Graves doing at the time? He was a state rep running for state senate. In okay. The, in the okay. Uh, Glenn Klippenstein sat in the seat for a year. The flood of ninety three came. He had some illness, and he had his farm had passed away, and uh, so he decided not to run for reelect. He was elected in the special. And so it was a late-minute flurry to file because Glenn got out one of the last moments. Interesting story, although I don't think we'd have time, but, but Sam filed with like five minutes left to run because Glenn Klippenstein got out a half hour to the deadline. And they actually implemented a rule because of Sam's late, I remember that. late, late entry, which he eventually then took advantage of when Pat Danner dropped out. Yeah, because now they may – okay, it used to be that sometimes people would drop out of a race, let's say for state senate, and they had been there for a long time. This is before term limits even, and they would have it arranged for their son or daughter to file like right then. Yeah, five minutes left. Five minutes left. So uh, there was a law that was changed so that now, in fact, if you go on the Secretary of State's website, you can see a list of the latest ones. But if somebody drops out, um, there is a time period for people to refile. Opens it for a week. Correct. And that's the Sam Graves law, yeah. which he started because they started that for him after the late-minute drop that was really over the top. But then in 2000, in 2000, when Pat Danner dropped out, then he took advantage of that law because he wasn't in Jeff City at the Secretary of State's office when Pat Danner waltzed in on a Friday afternoon to say she wasn't running. She announced that she wasn't running on a Friday. Steve Danner announced that he was running on a Monday. Yeah, not, yeah, not Steve, and a fundraising yes, yes, And a fundraising letter hit the, over the weekend. Yeah, Pat Pat. Danner was a state senator from Western Missouri, ended up being in Congress. Uh, Steve Danner was her son. Um, he's now, I think, the, I, I'm, I, I don't want to get the title Adjutant wrong. General. Ad, yeah. Adjutant, Adjutant General. Adjutant General, General yes. yes. for the state. Yep. And a lawyer. And um, Best but, thing that ever happened to him was losing to us, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so now Sam Graves, just for listeners to know, is now a congressman from Western Missouri and arguably is probably one of the more influential members of Congress on the Republican side Because in I Missouri. believe he's the only member of Congress uh, from Missouri who chairs a committee now, I, I, yes. if I'm not mistaken. One of the 13 so. members, yeah, one of the 13 chairmen. He's been there uh, since 2000 and, you know, probably he chairs small business committee and, and likely to be the next chairman of the Transportation Committee. And some of us openly wondered a couple of years ago why he wasn't running for the U.S. Senate against Claire McCaskill, but that's another story. I mean, I'm not advocating, but it's just no, from, no, a, sure. to t- from a tactical point of view. In fact, I talked to him at the time when he decided, when he announced he wasn't going to do it. So, go on. Uh, so, uh, we, we uh, ran for Congress. Sam ran for, ran for Congress. In t- so, I went to Jeff City and worked for him, state legislature, in 1994. You know, it was such an awful Republican year. I was the only one to <laughs> navigate a victory. Uh, no, we won in 1994, along with the rest of the world. There were Republicans. And I went to Jeff City, and my dream was to work in the state capitol. I'd been there once in fourth grade for my fourth grade trip. 
And so walking up the steps, I mean, what a, you know, what a cool moment. So I worked there for six years, left to run campaigns off and on in the interim, ran a reelect in 1998, which was a very tough race against Beth Wheeler, who was Mel Carnahan's legislative director. Yes, I remember that. One of the top races in the state, and we, um, we won pretty handily at the end. And then in 2000, the race opened up. Pat Danner resigned. Steve Danner was in. It was a five-way Republican primary already. This is for Congress. This is for Congress in 2000. And uh, we won a five-way primary for the Republican nod. And then won And what Stuart Rothenberg on October 1st said was the number one race in the country. Uh, and with the Carnahan plane crashing 16 days out, we were one of the only people to win that year as Republicans. And so it was a five votes per precinct, 51-47. Uh, and so I was saying I was running Todd Graves race for state treasurer at the same time. Interesting story. If you're a junkie. Yes, because Todd Graves running against Nancy Farmer. Todd lost. That's right. Okay. We found out. So we have the whole crew at the uh, at the embassy suites in, in Kansas City. I, I'm in the middle of a whole family there. It's in a conference room. Sam is on one side. Todd is on the other. And we have, of course, this modeled on how much we can lose. And these are brothers. Brothers. Yeah. How much we can lose each precinct by and county by and we got the green county results that say that todd had won and i'm, I'm gonna mess this number up and, and the internet will fact check me but i think <laughs> i think we won by like nineteen thousand votes or something maybe it's 14 <clears throat> but anyway it wasn't enough yeah i mean and we knew right then we didn't have to you don't have to check your green county numbers and you know if you're going to win or not and so we knew we we're going to lose and literally 30 seconds later and we have whiteboards two whiteboards for each for each uh uh race Literally 30 seconds later, in walks the Buchanan County numbers for Sam, and we've lost, like, maybe by 1,000 or something. And we knew we won because we could lose it by, like, 4,000. Right. I mean, this is— These guys yes. knew within 30 seconds of each other that one was just—who Todd was kind of on the rocket ship. He'd sat right. out a, a few semesters of college, worked Danforth and Bond, and was really the political guy. Got, yes. Got Sam in the business, had run for prosecutor, beat an incumbent, long-term incumbent, kind of smoked him in 1994, so they were both elected at the same time. Uh, Sam gave uh, Todd about fifty thousand dollars at the end of the nineteen ninety four election to help put him over the top. I mean, these guys have been in this business, and they find out within thirty seconds of each other that one 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 lost. And Todd looked at me. He goes, "He's going to be a congressman." And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "He goes, well, I need to go write my concession speech." And Sam looked at me. He goes, "Did I win?" I said, "I think you're going to win." He said, "Will you be my chief of staff?" I'm like, "Well, this is easy. I mean, what else would I do? I'm not going to work for Todd." Now, now, one of the interesting things about this story is this illustrates something that many of our listeners may not understand. It's not just if you win a county or win a part of the state; it's how much and what the model is of what they need from that part of the state or what they need to not lose by more than in order to win statewide. Right. So that's why these guys were able to see that even though. Um, uh, a Todd Graves won Green County, which is Springfield. He didn't win it by enough for what they knew would be losses from certain other parts of the state. Whereas Sam Graves, when he saw that he lost Buchanan County, but he knew he didn't lose by much, and then he knew that that was changing the model, and he was going to win. Yep. And th- this is a great story. And yeah, well, good. Well, I'm sure it's if I haven't put everybody to sleep yet, right? <laughs> so anyway. Well, my, we- my, my, yeah, my, my question for, for you, Jeff, is, you know, it's hard for me to kind of fathom that, you know, the swath of northwest Missouri was ever Democratic or Democrats had any <laughs> chance of winning it ever. Like, how did it change to the point to where, you know, Sam Graves is winning now by, you know, 60, 70 percent and the, the Senate seat that he fought so hard for isn't even being disputed by by a Democrat. What what changed? I, it's stunning. I, I, it really is stunning. And, of course, as as consultants, we are responsible for all good things in the world. And so there was 
by brilliance that did that. No, I, I think that culturally, a couple things happened. Uh, when Sam Graves got elected, 178 of the previous 100 years, that district had been represented by a Democrat. Clinton won it twice. Right. Uh, it, it's a it's a Clay County kind of anchors a seat, and it was a Democrat seat. Interesting fact, I'm, I believe the number is 864 votes. When Abraham Lincoln was elected, he lost 864 to one in that county. Wow. And, you know, 100 and some years later, George Bush actually beat Al Gore by literally like a handful of votes. Right. Yeah. And then, and now, some say it's the social issues, you know. So it's, well, I think. Gun guide, abortions. I believe that's probably right. The, the, but those folks, those Democrats up there were, I mean, Pat Danner's more pro-life than half the Republican legislature. Well, that's legislature. what I mean. What I mean, it was on both sides. Yeah, it's a, it was a culturally conservative. And I think mostly what happened, we certainly took advantage of it. But I think the Democrat Party nationally left that area of the country. And um, they left them on, you know, it used to be, it was typical to have a pro-gun, pro-life, Danny Staples type of, you know, Democrat, Harold Gatsky, you know, Jim Matheson. Those guys were all, you know, conservative Democrats. That really doesn't exist any longer. And so um, there's a few left, but uh, that that area of the country was all Democrat because it's actually pretty easy to be a moderate Democrat in my in, in my worldview. You can spend more money. And still have, uh, you know, have a strong Christian faith and carry a gun on your pocket. That's a pretty good place to be politically in northwest Missouri. But because the party left nationally, I think that – and we took advantage of it, of course. I think that's what really what happened. But on the Republican side, the Republicans has made it more difficult. It's, virtu- it's almost impossible to find a moderate Republican in it. You can find a few, but not many. Yeah, I think it's what's redefined as a moderate has probably changed. But I think that's probably right. The this, this state of Missouri is very conservative – generally speaking, and uh, Republicans have taken advantage of that electorally. When Sam was first elected to the House, the numbers that we have today in the legislature were literally flipped. Right. It was 100 to, 110 to 53 the other way. Yeah, re- Democrat. And it was the Senate. I think we joined. We had 14 other Republican senators, and they met in a phone booth before we got there, the class of 94, <laughs> which is, I think there were nine. And Sam came in with Bill Kenney and some other seats that we'd flipped. And so, you know, as a yeah, it was a cultural shift that that Republicans took advantage of. So now, so what? Okay. So yeah, yeah. What do you do now right. as a consultant? <laughs> I was uh, trying I, to I get to the end of this question. and just talk about my Sam Graves career. Uh, so I went <laughs> yeah. to I went to Washington to work for him for five years, and then started my company, Axiom Strategies. And w- essentially, um, I don't. The chief of staff thing was a was a neat job. I really enjoyed the experience. I mean, I, my goal was to work in the state capital, let alone the you know nation's capital. Was there for nine eleven. Help Sam in his reelects, but I'm a political guy. It was the chief of staff is a pretty bureaucratic job when you get down to it. It's a staff of 22, 1.3 million dollar budget. I mean, there's a lot of administrative functions there. So after the newness wears off, and after it's, you know you've seen the White House a few times and everything yeah. else, it's kind of time to move on. So I moved back to Kansas City, which was kind of the big town to me growing up, and in Sam's district, and started Axiom Strategies. We had no, we had no money. I'd saved up like fifty grand to start the company, and I hired a couple people. I had no idea what I was doing. I remember at one point we had fourteen thousand dollars in the bank, and seventeen thousand dollars payroll and overhead coming due in two weeks. And there wasn't anywhere. It wasn't like I just had some stash of money to go find it to pay the bill. <laughs> like that was it. And uh, so anyway, we we had to figure out a model. Ninety five percent of our races were within a hundred miles of our office. Uh-huh. And uh, and so I really had to figure figure out the business model, and my I, what became I hired a guy to help me through that, and got a, actually a um, you know figured out what my model was, figured out what, what we were going to do as a company, what my profit margins were, essentially understand how to run a business, 
And uh, so eventually what we decided on was that we were going to be a federal campaign uh, consulting firm. And now we're the largest Republican consulting firm, general consulting firm in the country. Really? We've elected 30, we've elected or re-elected 31 members of Congress. We've helped, you know, four United States senators. Uh, we have, we, we run the re-elects of most of those folks. And some of those are sleepy re-elects and some are, you know, tough re-elects. Uh, we have, we have a direct mail firm that I've spun off that does direct mail phones and web. And we're the fourth largest Republican direct mail firm in the country. And it, 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 it has its own president. They operate in a different office. We have an office now in Dallas. We have one in D.C. Well, that's how Karl Rove became powerful. He really did fundraising with, mail. Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. It, but it was the mail. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so now we have clients. I mean, we've got Jack Kingston in Georgia, U.S. Senate race. We're involved in the U.S. Senate race in Iowa, Montana, California. We have the top race in the country in Arizona with Martha McSally in, in the Tucson district. We have... Um, I think the number is nine of the top 25 races in the House in the country. And uh, we've got a staff of that f- you know fluctuates anywhere between as a low of 15 to a high of 40 at the end of a cycle. Now, you did Ann Wagner in 2012. Did right? Ann Wagner in 2012. Did Bill Corrigan over here. I actually have more clients. Now we have 95% of our clients are 100 miles away from our office, yeah, cause I remember which makes it hard, harder to drive yeah, there. Yeah, because I've known you for 10 years. I remember yeah. when I first called you in 2004 when I was over in Kansas City doing some stuff on John Kerry. But in 2010 and 2012, you were here all the time. Yeah, it was. I, because you were doing Fun. Corrigan, who was challenging Dooley, and then uh, Wagner. Yeah, and I think um, well, I think we'll, in a week we'll be calling her Chief Deputy Whip Ann Wagner, and she'll have a security detail would be my prediction. Um so it's pretty dynamic times. But so that's what my company does. We do corporate clients. We have a pretty good corporate book of business and um, that focuses on large companies in Missouri. And we do a lot of work in some of the nearby surrounding states. So it's a blast. I've got great people. I've had I have people working for me that have been there literally since I started the company. Sarah Bowles is now Sarah Holler, uh, runs my office in Dallas. She's been with me for 10 years. Jason Clint has yeah. been in and around me for 10 years. He runs my mail company. I mean, these guys have been, you know, have seen the tough and good times. And so it's been a, it's been a blast. Now, uh, now yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that, that has kind of been attached to you over the years, which I've always found kind of humorous because it's not like poli- politics is, you know, a tea party and, and friendly to begin with, is <laughs> a lot of people have said that you're kind of an aggressive, bare-knuckle consultant. I must have read... The description bare knuckle at least a hundred times <laughs> over over your career, and I, I've always found that to be kind of a, a curious you know criticism lobbed your way because especially if you're in a campaign where there's opposition and people are throwing things back and forth, of course it's going to get negative and and whatnot. But I think that the consensus is that over time you've become more quote-unquote mainstream and more warm and cuddly so to speak <laughs> i'm just i'm just curious how you've, you've you've seen that criticism over the years and maybe not criticism but description and what it's kind of brought to your career in business well um yeah so i think there's it's almost like there's pieces of on the monopoly board if you're talking about consultants right you're either a hat or a boot or a car, or, you know, whatever the other pieces are. <laughs> You're either like the slick back, you know, really, you know, good looking Italian suit guy that's, you know, really is the spinmeister. You know, that's one, that's like the boot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then the car is like the fuzzy haired, like 
statistician, math kind of guru, you know, the money ball guy in politics. And then, you've, and, that, and then you've got the guy that's like the backyard, back alley brawler. I mean, that's a, that's a <laughs> but it's really all you get to choose. The funny part is, well, aside from my wife, Melissa, who's, you know, will be listening when this airs, and my new daughter, Remy, uh, Remington Anna Jean Rowe, my grandmother's name was Anna Jean. They probably calm me down a little bit. But I think the probably the point of it is is that I don't I think you have to be something in the business and when you get that reputation, it's hard to get a reputation in politics. And then frankly it's really tough to change it. And so when I started my company it was all Sam Graves longtime aide Jeff Rowe, who started his own company and right. it was everything was linked to right, Sam. Right, right. And then it went to this, you know, and it's the, the obviously the media rights stories, and it's catnip for reporters to talk about political consultants. I'm going to have a, <laughs> I'm going to have a story this weekend in the Dallas Morning News, Jason, to reinforce my, you know, backroom brawler kind of mentality. <laughs> but I think what happens more than anything else is I'm just not. I, I believe that politics is really a contact sport. I believe the values and the and the positions that candidates hold should be vigorously defended and debated. And so I think I return reporters' calls. Yes, if yes, they, you do. If they, if, they, if they ask me if I sent a direct mail piece that was negative, I, I say I did. And so I think I've just been, I've just, you know, I think it's good politics is, is, um, is good for business. And if you win, it's good for business. So I don't know exactly how I get it. The bare knuckle, though, has moved. And there was another profile piece done to me a couple of years ago talking about, you know, the new warm and cuddly Jeff Rowe. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I think that I would say that would probably be more appropriate now with a with a new daughter that's going to square me away pretty quickly. Um, yeah. and, ra- I, and, I, and, <laughs> and this is going to be my last comment before I head off, off to, to Colorado. But I always found that kind of that that charge somewhat interesting because a lot of the, the clients that you represented, for example, uh, David Pierce, Matt Bartle, Eric Schmidt. All those people have been, A, really easy to deal with as a reporter, and B, generally seen as relatively nice guys. So it, it's kind of interesting to see that those people, like, connected with that sort of uh, descriptor of, of you. And I don't know. I've always found it to be interesting and, and maybe a little overblown given the nature of the business. But as you said... It is just the nature of politics. But, but so. isn't that what people want? If they're hiring a consultant, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, most of the politicians I've known who were successful, even the quote warm and cuddly ones, they all had a bare knuckle person who you know, was who handled I, all the difficult stuff. I mean, you know, voters. I would love to run positive campaigns. I think most of the campaigns that I run are actually almost fully positive, um, because they're Republican primaries, and there's a little bit of negative at the end, of course, but. You know, frankly, in my opinion, the people that I represent are really friends. I mean, we just aren't, you know, pay me five grand a month and let's go to war type of thing. <laughs> I mean, we're we're really friends. And so I think it's, for my job, in my opinion, it's it's important for me to carry the narrative of the candidate and put their entire life in 72 words in a television script or 54 words on a mail piece. And to deliver that, they're going to put this piece, and I tell the guys in the office this all the time, they're going to put... This mail piece that we do for them, it is going to be in their keepsake box that their grandkids are going to look at in 100 years, or great-grandkids. I mean, that's important to me. So I think, I mean, for the bare, the bare Knuckle Brawler, it's good for business for sure. But frankly, in my mind, it is really important for me to carry the life that these folks have led for 40 or 50 years and put it within 150 words on a mail piece or a, or a TV script and really honor what their life has been because that, at the end of the day, is the way that they will get elected. So you've talked a little bit about your mailing operation, and I'm yep. curious, you know, how consulting has changed, you know, with the advent of the Internet and, you know, the so-called digital age. Sure. Great question. So I think a couple of things. I would have predicted that we wouldn't have a direct mail firm right now 
that I started eight really? years ago because I didn't think there'd be a post office. Uh, <laughs> you know, and his emails have taken over. And how many letters do you get a day versus how many emails do you get a day type of mm-hmm. thing. And so what has happened, though, is actually the opposite. Direct mail is one of the best mediums because you know they have to touch it. Okay. Now, we, we, measure, we measure our mail by the second. We go to a, to a computer lab in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we time how long they look at their mail at our mail pieces. Mm-hmm. And we test our opponents' mail pieces. And by opponents, I mean like our competitors, I guess I should say, and the other Republicans' mail pieces. And so the creativity that has to go into mail now is the old cloak and dagger mail pieces just don't work anymore. They need to be creative, clever, funny. I know this. I noticed they're bigger. They're bigger because they will wrap your mail in it. Yes. <laughs> I, I, every piece we send now is probably eight and a half by twelve. Most of really? them. And we have some creative folks in our team. Cameron Armour, who's been with me for five years now, I think, uh, who is a, 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 a nearly a genius. He might actually be a genius. Um, Robbie. Uh, Robbie Morales has been with me for a few years now, and that guy, these they're just creative wizards. And they know how to connect a candidate's narrative to a clever picture or a clever style. They know how to do it like I don't believe exists really truly in the business. And so those guys are great. And, uh, and so I think instead of it being a dying art, I actually think it's going to be a elongated art because really? people have to see it. You don't know... When I and I we do digital advertising too. We do a lot of digital, and digital is important to motivate your base and to and to allow your your supporters a place to congregate. Yeah. But frankly, you don't know if they see if they saw the banner ad or not. It's just it's on the screen, but the click through rate on those things are awful. It's two point two. Well, in fact, that's what I was wondering. How the internet ads really? I mean, do they do much besides generate buzz? Uh, not really. Well, they don't. They don't move numbers. I can tell you that okay. it's been tested. Now TV moves the broadcast. You remember back a few years ago, cable was going to kill broadcast because everybody was going to cable and ESPN and all this kind of stuff. Cable's nearly dead politically. There's no reach. DirecTV's got 22% of the market in every state. The cable penetration in any market's about 65%. My friends at Charter will love me saying this, by the way. <laughs> but they, they, it's just you can't get the frequency. I mean, if you watch Fox News, you watch it all day long. And you're, right. But there's, there's, that's only 7% of the population. It's so fragmented. That in, mo- in most of these races, if I've got a chance to run radio and and mail versus cable, I will run radio mail 100 out of 100 times. Now, broadcast still is the dog, though. You get on broadcast, you buy the 10P news, you buy the live sports, like that moves numbers every time. So Why? after you get – because people are watching TV, it's magic in a box. I can't explain it. But when you run 1,000 points of TV, it moves the needle. You would also think that people watching like their 10 p.m. news are also the the ones who are knowledgeable of of political events, and they're probably people who are going to be voting. Yeah, too. more likely to vote. Good point. That's right, and it's so in an off year. Now, when you get into a presidential year, big turnouts, sure. then you can go deep into the into the cable systems and go reach people that otherwise you wouldn't get. Uh, and when we do initiative campaigns, we do a lot of that kind of advertising. You can, I, I mean, you can really do a lot of targeting now with mail. The other thing about mail is that we have so much consumer data. If you're left-handed, red-headed, and live in a cul-de-sac, you're an 83% to be a Republican if your house is over $183,000 value. Like, we can target this to the person. There are times in campaigns where we'll send one mail piece to the husband and another mail piece to the wife because they're different voting tracks. And so we can, we can do that now, and that's why I believe we have actually a longer shelf life than some other mediums is because as long as the post office doesn't continue to cut days of service – but we can target this. It's so micro-targetable now 
that it's really become a better medium than it has been in the past. Now, you mentioned that just now that the, that you would have a piece of mail targeted toward a man and a piece of mail targeted for a wife, uh, woman. What? How would you target it? I mean, wh- what is there? Is it the phrase? I mean, what? Based on their issues, based okay. on what the issues they care about, and based on <clears throat> for the example, profile of the profile. Yeah. Well, you would send a, let's say you're going to send a, um, a mail piece out about, let's just say, um, taxes and spending. Okay. You talk to, to you, you would talk to a female swing voter differently about taxes and spending than you would a male swing voter. Really? In because, what way? Because, well, the, the female typically makes the spending decisions. You're going to make it more economics based. You're going to make it more, you know, more focused if you know that they're, a, if they're, if they work from home type of environment versus the man, you're going to talk about debt and government out of control and nasty figures of the <laughs> capital. I mean, they just receive information differently. They, we, you ever see, you see a TV ad and you're like, that's the dumbest ad I ever saw. Well, it's because it probably wasn't targeted to you. <laughs> and so, so that's why, that's why the mail is good, but digital is going to be, we're all going to be online. I mean, this is all going to go away eventually and we're all going to be online because that's where we're going to be living it's absolutely coming it's just not there yet well and then how do you i mean because you talk about the fragmented population how are you going to be able to reach people with the same block as you do now with mail radio and and regular tv it's just going to change i mean essentially now voters get their information from so many different sources you don't you can't you just just used to run a thousand points of TV and call it good. Now people are listening to Pandora on the way to work. They've got their, um, you know, they're they're watching uh, Hulu at night. They're not watching any TV. And then they're, I mean, these cord cutters. I don't know how we're going to get to them. You're going to have to text them on their phones. I mean, you've got to go surround them with information because they get their information from so many different sources these days. It's tougher and tougher to track them, and it's going to get more and more difficult. Hmm. That's interesting. That, that is really interesting. Yeah. Is, it, is it interesting? Yeah, yes. I mean, no, I'm I mean, I live, I'm I live this all the time, so yes. I feel like no, this I, is like... The, the point of, um, you know, when you send them direct mail, you know that they have to touch it is, is is really interesting, too, because it's like, well, Google can go through my email and say, I'm not interested in this, and they can take it out for me. But I don't have Google going through my, you know, tangible mail and saying, you know, this is what you're interested so in. Our, so I have to do that. You do. 17 seconds is a national average for a direct mail piece to look at it. 17 seconds. Really? Our direct mail that we test is about 38 seconds. I mean, we double the national average because of creativity. Now, you're going to look at it and laugh, and you've got to get it tight. I mean, the message, you're not going to send these big brochures with, like it's a shopper, like a daily shopper, you know, and you're looking to buy a wicker basket. I mean, you've got you've to get the point across quickly with images and make it interesting and kind of funny and clever enough that they'll hold it in their hand. And so if you get them 38 seconds, that's longer than a TV commercial. Yep. You can actually keep them, keep them looking. We had a mail piece last year that tested a minute, five seconds. Now, um, are there particular races that you're doing for this fall and kind of what's your general analysis of the climate? Any, any races on this side of the state? Might you do, let's say, Rick Stream? Uh, I think uh, if you in county exec, we would probably do what we do. So in Missouri, I've got all the congressmen except for Vicki Hartzler, who beat me in the primary. So she's got another consultant. Um, she beat Bill Stofer. So I have Billy Long's a client. Jason Smith's a client. Ann Wagner's a client. Blaine Lukemeyer, Sam Graves. And so and then I've got that kind of penetration in the somewhat, you know, Chicago to Colorado. Why did Kinder not challenge Smith for? Congress this year. I have year. no idea. Okay. I really don't. Okay. I 
I thought she might know. I, well, I would, I would have bet the farm he would have. Um, so, so I have those guys. But, you know, I do a lot of direct mail for a lot of legislative clients in the, in the county exec uh, race. I mean, I do those type. I don't know if I've got his business yet or anything. But we do the direct mail. But as far as me running their campaign, mm-hmm. it's m- almost exclusively federal now. Um, I mean, if, the, if it's a big state senate race and they hire me to do the mail, of course, I'll plug into the strategy. And that sort of thing. But that's really the difference in our company is that we have a product. And this, we have ma- our direct mail and our web and our phones. That's a product that you can buy. And it's a great product. And I'm very obviously proud of it because I think it's some of the best in the, in the country. But you can buy that product and you don't have to, you know, suffer through conference calls with me. You can buy our, you can buy our mail and it is going to be great stuff. you got top-level service and you can make quick edits. We're quick and fast and low cost. Nick Schulte, who used to Work at Boeing over here in the um, in the um, used to help kind of do the diag- diagnosis on the on the F eighteen. Uh-huh. He runs the mail portion diagnostics now. Wow! I mean, we've got some pros that do this stuff day in and day out, which is why I wanted to create. And so the second side of our business is Axiom. Now that's us. I mean, it's like right. me and 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 a few other consultants that we are. I've got yesterday. I had a guy in Greensboro. I've got a guy in Colorado today. I think that. Probably maybe Jason will run into him. Yeah, right. And he'll and, and a guy in Arizona. And so we we move around a lot, and we're on the ground actually doing it. So as far as races over here, I bet we have you know probably um, most of the major races will be doing the direct mail for for them. Okay, but it won't it won't be me running them. Uh, my races, my big races this year are are in Georgia, Florida, Arizona, um, Chicago, and Texas. What's your analysis of the climate? Right now, uh, it's um, <clears throat> you know people are well. Let me address it through Eric Cantor's loss. People love their congressman but hate Congress. Eric, what happened to Eric Cantor was he became Congress. Okay, yeah, explain. He that. embodied Congress. I mean, his district, his voters in his district only saw him when he was on the Sunday shows, where he's defending Congress. And so, what a lot of people do is they fight really hard to bring their district values to Washington, D.C., not Washington, D.C. values, and come back and and explain it or, you know, enforce it on the local district. And so that was one of the things that caught him and a lot of other things at play. But people are pissed. And it's just a few times, a few days a year we have elections where people can kind of voice it. But, I mean, if you're a Republican primary voter, you're pretty pissed right now. I mean, they've got Benghazi and Bergdahl and this VA scandal's a mess. And we can't, it doesn't, it's, we seem powerless to do anything about it. And they're so frustrated that they don't know where else to turn. Now, their local congressmen typically are going to get reelected because they are fighting for them. They're repealing Obamacare 40 sometimes. You know, they're, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs about Benghazi and the VA. But, I mean, there's a great frustration in American politics. And you know, funny enough, because of the Internet, you used to be able to cast, cast a vote, and nobody ever knew about it. I mean, really ever. I mean, sometimes the Post-Dispatch, the Kansas Star would run, you know, how the lawmakers voted, and they'd pick out five or six votes. Right. Outside of that, nobody knew. There was no Internet. I started in politics. There was no Internet. We had no email. Well, now you press a, press a button. And, by the way, sometimes they know how you're going to vote before you vote because you tweeted or Facebooked yeah. it or something. But they know instantly how you voted, and it can cause a, you know, a turmoil back home. So I don't know if, we're ever, if people are ever going to like politicians again. I mean, this isn't Frank Underwood type of stuff here either. I mean, this is where people are highly – and I think it's good. I think the more involved the voters are in democracy, the better it is. The rigors of democracy 
are wonderful for politicians' accountability. And the things that they used to get by with now, they don't get by with. And, and so I think that there's a high level of scrutiny. The BS meter is set really tight right now. And I know I'm on public radio, so I'm careful. <laughs> um, We're on the internet, though. And, so and, that, that and gives Remy's going to hear this someday, and she doesn't want to think bad of her dad, right? Um, <laughs> but there's a, the BS meter is set so tight that you really can't fake it anymore in politics. You have a real sense of who these people are. You have a real sense of what they do. They open up their lives to you in ways that politicians never used to do. I mean, they used to be really insulated. Even in parades, they'd ride in the back of a car. Right. And now they're running alongside the car, shaking hands and you know, personally handing out the candy. Like, our politics has changed. I think it's all for the better. All right. I'm going to have to close this off here. Um, but you can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow uh, You can follow me on Twitter at C.S. McDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at, at J. Rosenbaum. Joe, you can be followed on Twitter. At J. Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can be followed on Twitter. I, yeah, I, you, I can be. It's axiomstrategies.com, A-X-I-O-M strategies not com not dot com that's our website but at axiom strategies very good well we'll be back next week until then so long st louis public radio's the gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning from the ever-evolving relationship between st louis city and county to developments in the missouri and illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in rolla and the metro east we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.